Hello, everyone. It is Kathy with Backyard Columbus, and today's episode is about gardening for wildlife. And I think I have not mentioned before that I am actually an ambassador for the National Wildlife Federation, a habitat ambassador. And I became one of those because of my passionate interest in nature and my backyard and all of the fun things that I do. So all of these trees and bushes and flowers and little habitats that I've created, that's all part of gardening for wildlife. Not everyone has to do it on the scale that I've done it in. But um, being a backyard ambassador, a habitat ambassador, has allowed me to share ideas and this journey I've been on with other people. I've actually been able to do um, Zoom meetings like uh, Zoom presentations. I've given presentations at libraries and some agricultural groups. So it's really been pretty fun because people seem really eager and kind of excited to learn what they can do in their own backyard, which again is the whole goal of my entire podcast. So, you know, I I've mentioned before, I love to travel. We love to see nature places, not strictly nature, but I love to see the landscapes of different countries. And, you know, you don't always have the time or the money to do that. We spend the majority of our time at home, sadly, if not at work, but at home. So why not make that a place that makes you happy for whatever time you have to go outside? So, through the National Wildlife Federation, they have a list of ideas of how you can make your yard more wildlife friendly. So I always get a little bit paranoid about this saying wildlife because I feel like what people are thinking I'm saying is let's make it raccoon, possum, and skunk friendly, which we certainly have those here too. I'm not trying to make it unfriendly to those, but... Um, I think more people are intrigued and get a little giddy over birds and butterflies than um, skunks and raccoons. So for those purposes, let's just pretend that's all I'm talking about, okay? But if you are a, uh, a parent and you would love to teach your child more about nature, I got to tell you, kids get absolutely geeked out when they come to our yard. I mean, it's it's really been pretty neat. I shared on a different podcast that or a different episode, that one of the reasons I have created all of this greenery in our yard, I'll say, is because I don't have the time and money to just go trot off to a rainforest all the time, which is one of my other passionate interests. So I did all this stuff, created all these ponds. And of course, if I if I never mention this often, this has been with my husband's help. He is a huge supporter of my dreams and projects, and he is one handy guy. So I am very grateful for him. Anyway, he built a pond for me, and I've got all kinds of trees and bushes around it. And uh, one of my neighbors, she has an in-home daycare. And a couple of the kids came over to see uh, the pond. And one of the little girls, I'll ballpark, ballpark her age at about seven, she stopped. I didn't say anything about anything. And she said, this feels like a rainforest. If I was a crier, I would have cried because that's exactly why I made my backyard the way that I did. So I just love that kids get it. And I am like, I always joke that I'm like an eight-year-old boy in my backyard. I just go looking for stuff. I take pictures of things and you'd see that all over my Instagram feed. I mean, it's just the things that you can see in your backyard, especially once you provide habitat for these things, you would really be amazed. So I'll quickly go through this list. It's just five things. And um, if you are interested, 
hit me with an email or um, you can message me on any of my various platforms with being a, an ambassador for the National Wildlife Federation. I have all kinds of um, digital downloads that I can send to you, one of them being an application to get your backyard certified as a backyard habitat, as a nature habitat. So that's just kind of fun because it's a really fun thing for you and your kids. Or look, my daughter's grown. It's just a fun thing for me. So I like making myself happy. One of the things that is necessary to attract wildlife to your yard is to provide a food source. So whether those are um, a fruit-producing tree or bush, a nectar-producing flower. Those are the kinds of things we're talking about. Obviously, a bird feeder is fine, but natural sources are even better. Next thing would be a water source. A bird bath, that's super easy. Not everybody has the space or the time for a pond, although I will tell you that one of our ponds is literally, maybe not literally, but let's just say literally two by two. I mean, it's like two feet deep in a two foot wide circle, if that's how you say that. You know what I'm saying? Super small, but I've gotten frogs in there, dragonflies laid their eggs in a pond, blah, blah, blah. It's really pretty cool. So places for cover, and that could be a bird box, like a, you know, a birdhouse, um, dense shrubs, trees, things like that. Places to raise young, which is also mature trees, a nesting box. I'm having to read some of this because I can't rip all this off the top of my head. A host plant for caterpillars. And one more time, and I will never get tired of, of helping to explain this because for all I know, this is the first podcast of mine that you have listened to, a host plant. So we talk about host plants. This is the easiest one to explain what this is. Milkweed. Milkweed is the host plant for the monarch butterfly. And that means that the monarch butterfly will lay its eggs only on species of milkweed. If there were no milkweed on this planet, a monarch butterfly will not say, hey, well, all I have is an oak tree. I'll go lay my egg on an oak tree leaf. It would never do that. Uh, monarchs would just go extinct. So host plants are very specific. Sometimes there are groups and sometimes there are just one. The real deal about that is, so the monarch lays its eggs on the milkweed plant, on the milkweed leaf, that egg hatches, and that caterpillar needs that leaf, that particular plant, to eat in order to survive, okay? So I suppose you could lay your egg on whatever you wanted, but then the caterpillar will die as soon as it becomes a caterpillar because it has nothing to eat. So that monarch caterpillar must have milkweed in order to to be get bigger and bigger, and then, you know, make its chrysalis and become a butterfly, if that all makes sense. So host plants, if you are a fan of certain kinds of butterflies or moths, I would look up what are the host plants for that particular species. Like again, if you are a monarch butterfly freak, you need milkweed, and there are several varieties to choose from. You need milkweed in your yard in order to attract monarch butterflies. They can eat they can drink, is what I really mean, they can drink nectar from any nectar-producing flower. So that's not the problem, although that kind of is also a problem because as far as food sources go, butterflies need nectar. And if you have a bunch of sterile flowers or no flowers at all, that's why people say to me all the time, I used to see monarchs all the time, or I used to see butterflies all the time, but I just don't. Well, that's because they don't have anything to eat because no one's planting nectar-producing native flowers, and no one has milkweed in their yard anymore. 
So that's kind of how all that works. And I could talk about that for hours, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep this short. So food sources, water sources, uh, cover, and a place to raise young. So those are really the top four things. And I will add that it is also very important to have sustainable gardening practices, which means, uh, you know, limit your water use. You can get a rain barrel. But one of the um, biggest things is really limit, and I'm trying to be open-minded here, really limit your use of pesticides and herbicides. You know, again, I've had people say, I used to see ladybugs all the time. Well, then they have a pest control company like, uh, you know, for their lawn come out every month and broadly spray their whole lawn. They just killed everything in it, like including ladybugs, good, bad or ugly. So I will tell you, we do not spray our yard at all. And I do not put um, flea collars or flea treatments on our cats. Now, look, I have had to do that, put flea treatments on our cats. But and I have no reason for what I'm about to say, except my guess is that the balance of nature is working in our yard, good pests and bad pests. And our cats don't end up with fleas. Like this year, I didn't have to put anything on them at all. So everything must kind of be working like it should is is what my best guess is. But the point is, like if you can just limit the use, and again, I'm trying to be open-minded. I had a community garden project in my hometown going, and there was a bed full of poison ivy. And yes, we had to spray that with Roundup. I am no fan of that at all. Um, but I could concede that there are times when that is necessary. Although I will add gardener's grade vinegar, you can look that up on Amazon. I believe it's 40%, what do you say? 40% acidity, 40% vinegar. Point is, it is a way stronger vinegar than your apple cider or white vinegar, okay? That's not the kind of vinegar I'm talking about. This is literally called gardener's grade vinegar. You can use that for um, regular old weeds, okay? We hand dig our d dandelions up because we have a yard that doesn't have a ton of them anyway. Um, you, I could see where you would have to get a little more aggressive if you move into a new home and no one took care of it and it is just inundated with dandelions, then you've probably got some decisions to make. See what natural ways you could look that up. See what natural ways you could kind of start from scratch and get rid of all those dandelions. But overwhelmingly, I would really try to limit my your use of pesticide spray. Also, I will add uh, fertilizer applications. When all of us in the suburbs, we want everything to be nice and tidy, right? Everybody rakes up all of their leaves and we bag all the leaves up and we ship it off to an industrial compost facility when, in fact, if you took that same amount of time and mowed over those leaves several times and mulch them up and leave it on your lawn or spray, or not spray, blow half of it into your landscape beds, you have just naturally and freely fertilized your lawn.
the reason that our trees stop start to die and the reason the grass starts to die is because we've not given it any nutrition naturally. Why would I pay somebody to put an artificial fertilizer all over my lawn when nature does it for free? That's just wasting my money. So, you know, there may be times when you need to utilize some commercial fertilizer that's non-organic, non-native, or I mean, non-natural, unnatural. But for the most part, when you kind of work with nature, uh, it helps you uh, accomplish your goals. So that's just another tidbit that you can give some thought to. But food sources, water sources, places for cover, a place to raise young, and as sustainable gardening practices as you can possibly muster. And you're going to have yourself a habitat with more nifty birds than you've ever seen, more butterflies than you've ever seen. And on a future podcast, I will, on a future episode, I will share with you how many monarch butterflies we raised last year just because we've provided the habitat necessary for a monarch butterfly. So as always, I greatly appreciate you listening. And until next time, have a great day.